Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. Now, to tell you something, people, it's uh, it's warm in California today, and it's great. And I do feel bad because I, you know, on Facebook, I keep up with a lot of my friends from, you know, I grew up with in high school and college and all in New Jersey in that area. And it really sucks. And I hated that growing up that it would sit there and it just all of a sudden gets real cold. And I remember my father, before he passed, for his whole life, I mean, since I was born, he would always say, oh, yeah, right around Easter, it's going to rain, it's going to snow. Or, and he would always say that. We'd always go, no, Dad, it's not going to snow. And every year it would snow or get cold. And I'm watching the news today on the Today Show this morning, and it's like 28 degrees out. And I, I do feel bad at times. And then I think, well, that's why I moved. I, I Honestly, because I, I can't help it, but it's 88. But I feel bad because then tomorrow it'll go up to 65, and then it'll go back down. So the whole week of Facebook, I'll have to people complaining about how they have colds and it's like well you know what just don't sit there it's not summer yet people so just chill out anyway we have a great show today my go my my guest is is an east coast guy too my guest is a very accomplished actor eric lutz how you doing eric i'm good how are you steve good. now you know you grew up in rhode island yes i did now now what was it like what do you think about the weather i mean because rhode island's even colder than new jersey yeah, and it's wet. It's wet all the time. I mean, or or it's not. It's either really great weather or really crappy weather, and it changes throughout the day. I was just talking to my buddy John in Rhode Island this morning, and uh, you know, I'm walking down the street. It's 80 degrees. I got a cup of joe in my hand, and he was saying how crappy it was getting to work because of the snow. I mean, it's supposed to be springtime almost, right? I know. Well, no. see, we, we get so spoiled out here, and, and we don't think about that and because we just get used to it, and we, we, right. almost, we take it for granted that yeah. you know when you sit there and it's even... In the last few years, it's been very hot all the time. Yeah. And you sit there and you go, wow, I'm wearing shorts like all the time. Yeah, no, weather's an event. <laughs> if there's a change in the weather, ooh, hey, look outside, there's a cloud or, you know, or a chemtrail, which is right. a whole, you know, trying to make it rain kind of thing. So now, now, now you grew up in Rhode Island. Uh-huh. Now, at what point were you a little kid when you knew you wanted to get into acting? Because, you know, it seems you, you I know you go back and you teach at uh, a college and I know right. you've been involved in acting pretty much your whole life. When did you decide you wanted it? And were you watching TV and just saying, I want to do that? Well, that's kind of it, Steve. I, I wanted to be a cop. I wanted to be a firefighter. Ooh, a doctor would be cool. And then I couldn't really make up my mind which one I wanted. And then I realized, hey, if I'm an actor, I can kind of be all those things without the training. Without, you know, so I don't know, I was a big jock in school and a ham bone. We didn't have a drama program at my high school. So myself and some of the other goofballs would do things at school assemblies, like the lumberjack song from Mighty Python or do those sketches and things. And then uh, my senior summer before I went into uh, the university, I got cast in a play. I, my friend said, hey, we need a lead male for this musical. Can you sing? I'm like, yeah, sure. I love Leonard Skinner and I can sing. Were, were you a game? Yeah, but I mean, were you, but you, were you a verse singer? I mean, did you no. used to sing? You just. Hell no. Okay. And the reviews <laughs> reflected that rather nicely. You know, can't act, can't sing, can dance a little, right? Wasn't that what they said about Fred Astaire? Right. So you do that. So you, you do the pajama game. Yeah. And and now, even though the reviews were yeah. tepid. Yeah. What what was the feeling you got when you were on stage? Did you know right then? It just I knew immediately. You? Immediately, this is what I have to do. I have to do it. So I uh, was going to uh, major. I was toying with majoring in art. So I come from an art background. I grew up with that. My dad was a, an accomplished marine artist. And then I realized I wanted to rebel. I didn't want to just be an artist. And so I became a theater major. Loved it. Did every play that came along. And early on, started uh, you know getting cast in things up in Boston and Providence and. Eventually made my way to New York and was making a living in New York and my dream had come true. And then 
LA kind of started pulling me and I didn't want to go to LA, but I did. And I worked right away and never looked back. And here I am. But now I'm an, an artist primarily. Let's see. Well, good. But now, yeah. now, now, how did you sit there and make your transition to New York? Because, you know, it's it's so hard. I know well, you said Boston and Boston has a good theater city. There's certain right. cities that have right. a very cool, you know, area. And Rhode Island, I mean, Rhode Island, I'm sure there's good stuff, but you're not going to get somewhere being in Rhode Island. It's sort of like in Philadelphia. Right. You can be a Philadelphia actor, but you have to go to New York. At sure. what point did you feel you were confident? I mean, was it was it overtime? Because I always say when we're young, we're punks. You know, well, my confidence always surpassed my ability, which you kind of have to have, I think in life in general. Right. Um, I was working up in Boston a lot and I met who would become my wife, my ex-wife, um, didn't know that when we were getting engaged, but you know, you don't plan that far ahead. Uh, and, uh, she had a kind of, a an apartment share in New York with a bunch of other Boston actors. So I went in on it. It's a total illegal scam we had going on. It was in a security building right in Lincoln Square, which is a high rent district. But um, it was a one bedroom and with a couple of pull-out couches. And it was a flop house. And for, it lasted for about nine months. And we would, you know, back before cell phones, this was, I don't know, 88 maybe. And uh, we would all call each other the night before. Hey, I'm going down. Do you want to ride with uh, Linda and I or, you know, my friend John? And sometimes there was five people in this place and it was a little crammed but it was so exciting because it was on the 22nd floor and you could look out over the city and you know we'd cook dinner and have drinks at night and talk about oh i met so-and-so and we get the ross reports because this is all before the internet right and we compare notes on who's casting what or whatever it was very exciting so we had this back and forth thing between a i had a rent control place in cambridge which back in the day you could have a you know, 2000 square foot apartment for $500 a wow. month. And it was, you know, horrible if you're, you know, yeah. right <laughs> landlord. Great if you're a struggling actor. So I was going back and forth between the two cities and then, um, we got engaged and then got a place in Manhattan and then, uh, just kind of set up camp there. And, um, and, and this is again, back in the eighties where Boston was the hub of the, uh, the training films, industrial films for the tech industry. So that was kind of my day job was doing these industrial videos. And then I started, uh, I booked a film with George Kennedy and Dave, the late great David Carradine. It was a low budget action film produced uh, with Japanese money. And then I ended up doing a series of these films for this company. And then it kind of dovetailed into my having a recurring part on all my children. And then, like I said, LA started calling me. You said recurring part on all my children, and I hear from people who have been on soaps mm -hmm. how it's one of the toughest things to it's do. It's the toughest gig out there, man. Because you know, we, you know, we watch people. People who don't watch TV don't understand. I mean, people who watch TV who aren't into business don't understand that. You know, when you watch a live taping of a TV show, there's been rehearsals on that. When you watch a drama, they just didn't shoot that in one day. They shot it in nine or sure, whatever. Sure. Whereas soap operas, you guys are doing it every single day. And I always, I'm always fascinated, and you might be able to give me your insight. How did you sit there, and how do you learn your lines when you know you probably get them at the last minute, and they go, oh, okay. It's like, well, it's like a play you get to rehearse, but they're like, yeah, okay. Hey, Eric, you're going to be on set tomorrow. And I heard it's pretty much like one take because they're always under the gun. How did how would you learn the lines and how would you prepare for that? It's a mixture of understanding your character and knowing what is happening in the scene. And I rely heavily on mnemonics and a pseudo photographic memory. Actually, okay. I can see the script in my head. I'm very visual. Um, 
So yeah, it, it's that's one of those questions a lot of people ask. How do you remember all those lines? You just get into the groove and you do it. How do you know when you show up at your board what buttons to push? And right. everything? It just becomes, oh, we're doing this now. I just now. put everything on high. Now, granted, I, <laughs> I clean, I wipe the memory every day, you know, clear the history. And so I, I don't hold on to those lines. People ask me about shows I've done years ago or that have replayed recently and they'll mention some line. They'll just blurt out a line to me and I look at them with a blank stare. What are you, are you smelling burnt toast right now? What are you, what are you saying? Isn't, well, that was the line. Go, isn't, isn't that weird? Cause I, yeah. cause I used to do stand up comedy back mm-hmm. from 88 to 95 or whatever. And I had someone sit there on Facebook and sent me something. I was talking to him. He's a comic. I used to know in Philly and he's uh-huh. like, yeah, I remember that. And I was sitting there going, remember that bit? And I, I had no idea. And then all yeah. of a sudden it, it jarred my head and I went, yeah. holy, we really, and you're right. We really do erase it. Even though right. we have memories about other things, it's, it's weird. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't get easier as you get older, clearly, I right? Yeah. I mean, I literally would just pick up a script, know it, move on now, and I have to really look at it and just go, huh, that, uh, that's not sticking in there. So, uh, yeah. Now, you said L.A. called you, and I know back then, I mean, it was pilot season. Was yeah, and it wasn't like, season. you know, hello, this is Los right. Angeles calling. Uh, please put me in touch with Eric. <laughs> but no, so you sat there, and what, I mean, because... Being an East Coast kid, you know, right. you, it, it's a big move. And, and you know, you had you're, no desire, no you, desire to go to Hollywood. So you, you're like, but what? Because you were just happy in New York. You loved it. New York was Mecca for me. That was, you know, if you can, like the song says, make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. And I, as a kid, I, I would go to New York frequently, you know, with family. And as I got older, take day trips and, and stuff with friends. Um, I, I just love the vibe there. I love the grittiness of New York. I love that something was always happening somewhere and the best pizza in the world. It's yeah, I, I mean right. yeah, I mean I I do love the New York pizza. I like I like the Philadelphia pizza too, but yeah. New York pizza's great. And there's a few. Do you have any New York pizza places out here that you think are good? Um, we're so, yeah, Antonio's Pizza on on uh, Ventura Boulevard, right near uh, Woodman. Okay, the second person who said good. that, and yeah. I, heard, I heard this place right down the street from the studio, Dino's is very good. Okay, and I heard right. and uh, and and there's a place that's in Pasadena now. I heard called uh, Tomato Pie Pizza or something. Okay. Like supposed to be excellent and i, I get, well, i'm trying to like, stay fit so i'm not eating a lot of pizza, pizza these days you know i get a i get a film coming up in july i get a trim down for so uh, pizza is not on the menu so you're not when, when you're in new york and you decide to move to la mm-hmm. what is your process do you sit there and did, do you have appointments set up did you auditions or you sit, said i have to go there well i would i came out for a pilot season the year before i moved here and kind of got a sense of it i was freelancing with a, an italian agency and they sent me out a bunch of times and you know, I tested for a couple of things. I thought, well, that's great. I got close. And then now again, this is before the internet. So, um, nowadays, you know, everything is, you, you do an audition, you're either Skyping with someone on the other coast, uh, or they just send the audition via email. So I would have to be put on VHS and then they would FedEx it out. And there was always a turnaround time. And I got very close to a couple of gigs in LA where it basically came down to, my now full-time agent said, look, you got to be in the room. You got to be the guy in the room. It's not enough to book off a tape. I really think it's time for you to come to LA, you know, give it, you know, give it a shot. And my ex-wife who's a real go-getter, very squared away. She said, yep, that's it. We're moving out. Boom. That's it. Not even let's do the bi-coastal thing. We just mon pod kettled it right cross country. We filled up a rental truck, drove across and set up camp, crashed at my uh, ex-brother-in-law's place in Burbank till we found the place. So that was about six weeks. And while I was there, um, I actually got a call on the road before I even landed in LA that I had an audition for Frasier. Okay. So and, and now it was the old day of the pager. Did you get the, the is that how you knew you get the phone call? Like you had answering, went, answering service. Okay. Answering <laughs> service. Yeah. Isn't it crazy when we think about it? Yeah. Like, like, you know, and you, and you were the acting, the smoke auditions. signals, you know, yeah. it was crazy. And, but you know what? We always, 
we always got the message. Yeah. Now I. Oh, we got a ton. People text now, and you're like, I never got a text, and you're yeah. like, what? I'm like, wait a second. So now you, you get you get the you find out you're getting an audition for Fraser, or you got the part for Fraser. No, that I had an audition for Fraser. So, um, I still did, you know, so new, I didn't quite understand just how really connected everyone is, and so I knew that Jeff Greenberg was the casting director. I knew that I had been put on tape for him uh, a couple times uh, the previous year in New York. So my plan was, I'm going to go in and read for this. I'm going to make sure he knows that. He's, you know, auditioned me before because, you know, you, you, you get put on tape. You think the tape just goes into the ether and, right. you know, and he opens the door uh, and he goes, Eric Lutz, let me welcome you to, to Los Angeles and gave me a hug. I'm like, oh, wow, he's been a fan of yours. I've seen you on stage. I love your, you know, the tapes and whatever. And it, I read for this part. It was a, it was a, I think it was a co-star. I was really new to the city and, you know, was just happy for obviously anything. And he actually called me and said, look, they love you for this, but there's something coming down the pike that I really think you should hold out for, because if you get this, it'll put you on the map. And sure enough, I turned that down, went in and read for the um, Tom Duran part, the station manager, the gay station manager. I mean, right. this is back in the day where you had to qualify it as the gay station manager. Isn't that right? crazy? Like it, being in the, in the field, it's just how much has changed. And right. back then there were people that would be like, there's just people that wouldn't watch it because there was a gay station. You played a gay character. <laughs> kooky. You know, it's kooky. And it's great that how things have really changed and, and opened up. And there's still obviously, a, you know, room to grow. But it was great to be, to get that part and be a kind of an iconic role to be part of television history. I mean, that episode won an Emmy. It uh, won some GLAAD awards. It's, did, did you get to go to the Emmys? I did not get to go oh, to the I Emmys. should have brought you. I mean, here's the thing. At the time, my... I agent uh robert malcolm great guy he's no longer my agent but um he's he people were telling me you should you should kind of try to you know po get yourself in there to, to get an emmy nomination and i said well what does that take well you gotta you gotta you know print off ten thousand vhs tapes and it was this huge thing it's it's all electronic now and at the time i just thought well i'm a newcomer and robert even said yeah you know you're so new to the scene it might just be a waste of your time because nobody knows who you are and I don't know if that was right or wrong, but um, I, I also didn't have the business savvy back then, um, so I didn't go for it. But I, I wonder, you know, who knows? Maybe I could have uh, been on the radar a little more. Um, so, uh, but it was just great to be part of it. I did end, end up going to other, you know, award shows and everything, but uh, I did not go to the Emmys that year for that. So, so you have this role, and mm -hmm. it's a very, you know, people love the role. Sure. And so... How do you feel it changes your career? Because sometimes, like, especially back then, I always try to explain to these young kids that TV back then, there wasn't 8 million channels. Yeah. So if you were on a roll, you probably instantly started getting recognized. Steve, it put me on the map. I mean, the phone star. I was shooting a guest star in a show called, um, it was called Heaven Help Us. I remember that uh, show. Right, John Schneider, uh, down in San Antonio. And uh, I got back to my hotel room and the phones lit up. I had all these messages. Uh, people were a couple agents called that I didn't even know people tracked me down and looked me up and suddenly I was I, you know I was on the map and I would go to producer sessions I'd see other actors that I had been watching for years and totally respected and they they would say oh hey I saw you on Frasier that was great my name's so and so wow it was just it was cool you know suddenly I'm in the community it must be great because yeah I mean it's it's like you know and and the funny thing is. It's not an overnight success because you're right. in New York. And that's that. what it looked like. Oh, yeah, Lutz yeah. just picked up, went to New York. Because, you know, I, I mean, going from New York to L.A., <clears throat> excuse me, and within four weeks, I got a part on Frasier. But they had been seeing me for years in right. New York, that, that's right? What, that's yeah. what always cracks me up when you say. films and yeah. soaps. and Overnight know. success. Yeah. And it's like, no, he just. And I'm, you know, I always talk to my guests about that, that I think a lot of times when it happens is when you went in for that audition, 
you already had, you had paid your dues, man. You were yeah. prepared. It's not yeah. like it's not like that. You just drove out here in the middle. You know, an right. agent said, "Hey, uh, Eric, coming to play." You know, for Frasier, one of the biggest shows on TV. Then you yeah. had to have the 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 balls that sat there, like the, the chops. I paid my dues. Paid so, my so you get that. So now what happens when everyone starts calling you? Are you sitting there? What do you know what to do? Because all of a sudden it goes from you're new to LA mm-hmm. and you got that show and you're a stage guy. You've done different stuff and guest stars. Mm-hmm. Where in your, what, where do you, what do you figure out what you're going to do next? Or does that, does your manager start talking about it or your agent or how did you know which, which avenue to go? It's kind of a group collaboration, which is kind of redundant. But um, I just kept saying yes to whatever I could. And then there came a point where I, I moved to a much bigger agency um, and they were starting to have me say no to things that, you know, I'd get an offer to do a show and they're like, it's not enough money or we don't think it's going the direction you're about to break into the next level. And I was saying, guys, I painted houses to get through college and I was a butler in Newport. I mean, I picked up cigarette butts on the cricket lawn, you know what I mean, to get through, co- to put myself through college. This is an acting gig. It's are you kidding me? What do you mean not enough money? Is it does it pay more than minimum wage? I mean, right. I just want to work, right? <laughs> so it, you know that that at one point it's funny now on this side of my career I have the business savvy, and yet I and obviously I'm still working. I I just did a um, How to Get Away with Murder with fellow Rhode Islander Viola Davis, which is fantastic, and I have a film I'm shooting in July and um, and a few things coming out this summer, which is great. But I find that. Um, it's not the be all end all anymore. And for years, people would tell me, you know, you just, you don't seem like you're all about the acting, you know? And, uh, and I would have to agree. And deep down it was because I was raised to be a painter, an artist, and that's my real, real passion. And that's taking off on me now. So now I'm finding I'm in this position of, it's not like, oh my God, I gotta, I gotta book something cause I need, I have bills to pay, right? I have a family to support. And, uh, and now I can kind of be a little more, I'll take that because it's a fun gig and I make my living as a painter. And the more I focus on that, the more I just, I get offers to do things. It's all about letting go. I mean, it's, it's the universal truth of holding on loosely and things flow. And with the painting you're putting out, you know, you're doing what you luckily, which most people haven't been lucky enough to have two careers they love. Right. And you you balance too. Yeah, I don't. But I think what happens also is, you know, you did the acting and you always knew you're going to be a painter. And then you're, you've gotten to a point where you could uh, financially be the painter. Right. And now that you can be the painter, you can financially, because of the painting, yeah, one you can be the an other. actor. Yeah, it's, really and it's, great. A, it's a great process. So now you come out here and you're, you're turning down stuff and mm-hmm. you're going, Holy crap. You know, exactly. Mm-hmm. I'd be the yeah, same way. Like, yeah. wait, I don't care whether it's $4,000 difference. I don't care. It's, it's, it's you know, it's still, right, sure. oh, instead of 15,000, we'll give you eight, you know, 18 in, in our man, yeah. mind frame. You think that, so now how does Caroline in the city come up? Does that, was that one of the auditions they, they find you about or do you have to audition or how did that happen? Here's what happened. I was on my second episode of Frasier and I was going up to, um, to Vancouver to do a backdoor pilot for the show, the commission. They were going to spin off another show on from that show. And it's final season. And I was reading the script and David Hyde Pierce said, what are you reading? I said, oh, it's this backdoor pilot I'm doing. He, he said, wait a minute, you're not, you're not doing a pilot, are you? Because, you know, generally if you do a pilot, that's, they hold you for the pilot season. And if it goes, you go with that. I said, I am, but it's, not, it's a non-exclusive because it's a backdoor pilot. He said, good, because my friend Marco Panette and Fred Barron are doing this show called Caroline in the City. And they really like you for that. Hold out for that. I'm telling you, that's the pilot you need to hold out for. So long story short, I ended up having this weird four-way test deal that year. So there were four shows that wanted to do a test deal with me. And 
I just thought that's what happens. And everyone was saying, no, that never happens. You might do a two, you know, first position, second position thing. But um, so anyway, I held out for Carolina City. I did the test and I got it and it was fantastic. And then things just blew up after that. I really, they blew up after Frasier. And that's when I started just getting offers for things and doing all the, the hot shows, which is a lot of fun. And then uh, Carolina in the City was just a really great experience with awesome people. We're still all very close today. In fact, I'm doing my second or third film with Andy Lauer in July. Uh, he directs a lot now, too. He's not directing this project. It's actually Craig Campobasso. And uh, Shameless Plug is called uh, Please Don't Eat the Pansies. And it's a delightful gay romp. So, uh, you know, I'm still in the, the, the gays are my people. Right. And their token straight uh, icon, I guess. But uh, Andy and I are going to be actually be playing a couple, which will be kind of fun, kind of weird, because uh, we know each other so well. You know, we're good right. friends. Uh, but that was really a great experience. And um, socially, we all get try to get together every once in a while. And that doesn't really happen. You know, you, you work close with people on a set. It's hot and heavy. Oh, let's stay in touch. Yeah. And, Let's get together. And, you know, many times it's always well-intentioned, but many times it doesn't happen. But we've really kind of stayed a close-knit group, which is awesome. Now, you, you get Carolina in the city, mm-hmm. and you, you, it's a great group. And now mm-hmm. when you sit there, and it's it's your first series, mm-hmm. and I'm sure and back then I think it was 23 episodes, back it was longer. Mm-hmm. So are you excited? Or are you thinking forward like going oh i hope this gets picked up again i mean because you're sitting there and you know and it's a little bit of a different story i mean you know that i mean even the beginning had the animation which right. people didn't see that and, right and, and, and sure. sure and and i'll be honest back then you know the lead character in a sitcom wasn't always a woman i mean you right know, you think sure about, and, and everyone knew leah thompson mm-hmm. and it was an ensemble cast which also once again mm-hmm. you know it's not it was just a different cast what were your thoughts going into it did you sit there and read it and go okay this is going to last for a while and people are going to remember me from this or did you sit there and go i don't know what the hell is going to go on i kind of took it one day at a time as crazy yeah. as it sounds it's always been my way i really try to hang not hang on to that but live my life that way and i thought you know what this is a great experience just to do a pilot and then it got picked up oh wow we got i don't know we got an order of 13 episodes i think which is pretty big at the time and I went with that. I go, wow, this is exciting and fun. And then when, when you're getting close to, are we going to get renewed? I'll never forget Tom LaGrua, who played Ramo on the show, The, the Restaurant Tour, a veteran actor. He said to me, look, the show's getting canceled. I said, what? He goes, it will get canceled someday, whether it's this week or 10 years from now. It will get canceled. Just remember that. So enjoy it while you have it. And I thought that was really great advice. And I held on to that. And Four years later, it got canceled. Yeah, well, but that's <laughs> a good run, though. Yeah, heck so, yeah. Syndication, everything. You so know? what's that like for you? Because you're, I mean, people knew you from the Frasier role. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. then once again, mm-hmm. Frasier had it, its its crowd, mm-hmm. you know, very smart crowd. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and you talk to anyone who's smart, they, they love Frasier. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> but then now Carolina City gets a crowd and it's on every week. How does your life start changing in the matter of when you go out, all of a sudden, you know, you were the guy from Frasier and mm-hmm. now you come onto this show how do, do people start recognizing you and how does someone adapt to that? Just for the fact that, you know, the Frasier was two episodes. It was very boom. Right. Indus, industry really watched it. Frasier was right, a very industry right. strong show. What's it like for you? And, and how do you deal with it when people just start recognizing you? Cause well, it was kind of happening before Caroline. Cause I played one of Ellen's last boyfriends. I was, you know, doing the Margaret show, 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 show. It's a mouthful. Sorry, Margaret. Um, you know, mad about you, all these other shows. And so it, to me, it was already like, wow, that's, that's where their people are looking at me. And what, the real hard part, when it really started to um, become a thing, you know, I grew up in a small New England town, Southern Rhode Island. 
when people look at you, that's a, that's an affront. That's a, it's a weird thing. And, and, uh, you know, there's always the small town gossip and I always thought, why are they looking at me? What did I do wrong? Or do, you know, do they know about, uh, those speeding tickets I got back right. in college or, you know, it's crazy things. So it was, it was, it was uncomfortable for me at first. Um, I think what was even weirder was though on the, the positive side of that, you're, you know, I'm, I'm a New Englander, man. I'm, I'm a tightwad. I fly coach when I'm paying for the ticket. You know, obviously when they fly you for work, it's first class and everything. And a number of times I, it really blew me away that I'd be in coach and the flight attendant would come back and go, Mr. Lutz, I'm, would you come with me for a minute? And they bring you up to first class, you know? And then your star gets lower on the horizon and then you kind of wait for it. Like, um, huh, that's funny. The flight attendant walked right by and it's not bringing me up to first class anymore. I guess my career is a little cool right now. So it still happens once in a great while, which it, is fun. It's just cool that you get those perks because, you know, it's, great. it's it's just because, you know, the mileage to get the, you know, the miles. I, I used to fly back and forth for two years. I flew back once a month to see my uh-huh. government before she moved out to New Jersey. Right. And I would fly Virgin because was they had this flight from Philly to Dallas. I mean, right. from Philly to L.A. It was always a great price and brand new planes. Right. But I would sit there and I'm thinking, you know, other airlines, if I flew this much, I would sit there oh, and yeah, I would, be, I would up. be up. But Virgin, it was like impossible. I'm sitting there going, wait a second. I just flew 20 times and, and I can't get an upgrade to first yeah, class. Yeah, and, and Virgin's yeah. first class always look cool because yeah, the sure. regular plane, it's it's cool. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, and it always pissed me off. So, <laughs> I mean, it was funny because you fly all the time. You think, you know, I, I sit there and said, hey, give me something. Throw me a bone. I said, hey, you know, if I flew United, which, you know, offense United, but your first class sort of mm-hmm. sucks. I mean, mm-hmm. you don't have a TV or anything like that. And you're like, wait a second, it's first class. I should get stuff. Right, so, right. so now the, the show's going along and now. Do you feel your character is growing through the show or do you, I mean, or, and do you feel like, do you sit there as an actor? Are you, are you saying, you know, I want to start doing other things or at what point did did you start getting bored at all with the character? Never got bored. Always was just thankful to have this job and it was so much fun. And, um, the, the one part that was frustrating was he represented everything I can't stand about the straight white middle-class male, you know what I mean? Just a lunkhead, you know, and he was all about sports and look, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm often, my friends will joke and say, you're like the gayest straight man we know. Or I had a, my friend used to call me uh caveman, like okay. caveman homosexual, <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, great, whatever. Because, you know, I don't watch sports. I'm a big jock. I, I work out. I love to do sports. I don't watch sports. People ask me that all the time. Hey, who won the game last night? I don't know. Was it, baseball season or you know this foliage i guess it's baseball season i don't know and it, you know i love the arts and everything and I, I think you can be uh, a total man's man and not have to be playing golf on the weekends and and all that and this guy this character dell was just obtuse he was insensitive sexist you know just a total meathead and i really enjoyed playing the the more enlightened characters and i like to play the opposite of what i am so playing like the real the real bastard, the real, you know, like uh, hard ass lawyer, that kind of thing. I love that because it's not who I am. But to go that way was just, I felt like I was really propagating that, um, you know, there's this this image that um, it just being the, the thick headed moronic male, you know, that I guess, I guess a lot of people see us like that. You know what I mean? You know? And I'm here to say, you know, you can you can be uh, enlightened and sensitive, and it doesn't mean you're, uh, quite frankly, a, a pushover. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you totally. And now, now, how did the meatheads respond to you during that time? Oh, I mean, slaps on the back. I mean, you hey, must have been like the, the king. No, I love that thing you said there about Caroline and <laughs> bada boom, you know. And uh, and and, and you, there was a thing where people, a couple times, women just like like kind of punched me in the arm. Hey, Dell, like I was that guy. Like you could just do that. Because I was like this, I don't know, this punching bag kind of person. Isn't that crazy how people, like, I used to hear the stories. like They James, really think that's who you yeah, are. like James Garner. People, like, pick fights with him because he always yeah. played a tough guy. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, it's just a character. Don't, yeah. don't punch me in the face. And I've had people come on here. They just, they played, you know, a total jerk. And people look at him in an elevator and just go, Man, yeah. we don't, we don't you. like you. And you. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Now, what? Now, so that the, the series... Is, do you find out it's ending, or when, how does the whole thing happen? It, was it was it? Canceled? We were we weren't sure, but when they were, when um, Warren Littlefield left NBC and the new guy came in, we knew that, and eh, that's probably it for us because we were we were a CBS production that NBC bought because CBS passed on us, so we were always kind of like this illegitimate child between the two networks. And by that time, I was ready to move on. I was, you know, I would have stayed with the show. People were telling me, "Oh, you should leave the show. They're not using you enough." I'm like. It's a fun gig. This is my family. It's, you know, it was fine. And then um, I had uh, that last uh, hiatus. I had done a film for the Olsen twins playing their dad on Switching Goals. And that was a great experience. And so then a couple of years later, they were doing their, their last series. And I was offered the part as their dad. So that's another claim to fame I have playing two different dads to the Olsen twins. Oh, exactly. See, that's, you know, so it's, that's great. Fun. Though. That's cool. But I, I will tell you, that was the way that ended. We knew... We, 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 we did like two 13 week seasons. So we were ready for our pickup for the third and we kept, my agent kept calling. There's no word. We're supposed to hear something. Finally, there, there are people told my agent, you'll have your answer tomorrow morning at nine. Well, tomorrow morning at nine was when variety gets put out in the, the office, right? And on the cover, Olsen twins pulled the plug on their show. That's how see, we found out. See, that's, that's the worst. It's kooky. It's, and it's, it's no reflection on them. They had no, you know, they, you know. But that's how it is. So after Caroline left, were you were you excited? I mean, because I, I, I would always think like this: like it is your family, and always people mm-hmm. say, you know, mm-hmm. besides you know working a great show, right. you get really close with the crew because sure. you guys are mm-hmm. like, I mean, you think people you spend five years together with, yeah. you know, you could become close. It, it was a, it's a, it was a sad time, but were you also just looking forward to the future? Because- it was exciting. I I um. I kind of early on embraced this idea of nothing lasts in a really positive way. Um, when I bought my first house, I remember my my uh, realtor saying, look, this isn't forever. Nothing lasts. So this is the house for you for now. And then when you have kids, you'll need a different house or whatever. Don't hold on to it. Get used to letting things go. And, you know, it's kind of a bitter pill to swallow, but it really frees you up in life to go, okay, this was good. And now there's something else. And it was exciting. And kind of scary but at the same time you know i just knew that well i you know they've been crazy enough to hire me in the past i'll get hired again and and that was when the agency was i was with at the time was really pushing me to to become a star you know and and i just i don't know man i i really just want to work you know and uh and i did and i always you know plotted along and it's so funny how people ask me so are you still working you know when you go from like a thursday night nbc show prime time to anything else, it you can seem like, oh, they're not on the radar anymore. People ask me, if oh, is Leah Thompson working? I'm like, are you kidding? She's huge right now. Right. If, if she's not in the thing you're watching, and if you don't read the trades or whatever, it's a, it's a weird phenomenon. And for a while, it, it would kind of get under my skin because it made me feel like, geez, maybe 
geez, I guess I'm not working enough and I want to, you know, work. And that's when I just started really realizing that, well, you know, I'm painting all the time and people seem to like my paintings. And, uh, I got into a couple galleries back East and mainly just because of the name recognition with my, my father, ironically, you know, cause he was a noted Marine artist. And I started really enjoying that. And then I just thought, you know, I want to, I want to shake things up. So I moved to New York a few years ago and, um, it was hard because, you know, I'm very close to my kids. So I was having to commute and everything. And eventually it just, you know, was not enough and I needed to be back here. But while I was back, I taught at my alma mater for a semester. I was actually offered a tenure track position and I was willing to take it because my son, uh, I don't think my daughter's going to go to college, but my son is a totally engineer's mind and university of Rhode Island has a great engineering program. And I thought I would gladly put everything on hold to give him a free ride to URI. And I talked to my ex about it and it just didn't seem like a good fit for him to leave um, California. So, so then I was like, okay, well that was my part trying to, you know, I mean, I had started college funds years ago, but I don't know how they're doing. Cause that's all her thing now. And so I thought, how cool though, that I was willing, you know, that's life. I don't want to be just one thing. I want to, I don't know where I'm going to end up. I mean, I could be in Rhode Island. I could be in Hawaii. I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm open to anything. The great thing about painting is I can do it anywhere. That's what's great. I'll do it anywhere. I'm going to the college. Now, how did that come about? And that must be the coolest thing to go back to your alma mater and sit there and, and, you know, it all of a sudden, I, I, my feeling is that when you go back it probably, and I, I found, I found an article that said about, you know, you know, you're a TV star, you know, and, and, yeah. the, and, and it's, it's a big thing. Cause you know, like right. when you have a guest speaker, when you're in college, you're like, right. Oh my God. But now yeah, yeah, yeah. you're, you've been on TV. You, you know, you, right. you're a known actor. And now, you know, some of these kids going to school are probably like, you know, cause we all hear stories of like the actor teacher, you go, right. like, what the hell does this guy uh, yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, but no. it's like, well, this guy, like, I get it. How did that come about? And how, what a great, what kind of feeling was it? Well, it was great. Uh, it was a real full circle, a sense of giving back, not to sound too like, Oh, I was, I was giving back my awesomeness. Not at all. It was, I was able to give them firsthand experience of what to expect on a set. Um, I had been involved with a new new England theater conference through a a friend of mine, Will Kilroy, who's um, an academic, and we went through theater school together at URI. And he knew as well that um, because he he has a great career, in, you know, as an actor anyway, and did time in New York and L.A. And uh, he and I would often talk about how there's this disparity between, you know, you're taught the craft of acting in college, but you're not taught the, the career or the business of acting. And it's, it, you know, there's only so much you can get across in four years in, in college. But there's always room to learn the nuts and bolts of the trade. So I would do these. I would get flown out to do these regional conferences, and um, and the finalists in the the scenes that we would judge go to the Kennedy Center, and it's, it's a big deal. And I was involved in that, and uh, I would give a talk on uh, how to be a working actor, you know, and and what it's like when you, when you talk about rehearsing on a set. It's not like you have weeks to. Now I wonder why I would cross to get that coffee mug there, you know. TV set, you just cross because we need to clear camera three. Right. And you know, you know what I mean? And I've seen people lose jobs. I mean, sitcoms are noted for, they just recast you immediately. And if you're taking up too much time and they just can't work with you, they replace you and bring in someone else the night before you shoot sometimes. And so you got to be on it and deliver the goods. Right. And, um, so I, going back was really exciting to, uh, see these kids that it's all about the craft. There's no, well, I want to make sure my trailer's as big as, you know, my deal is sweet and whatever. It's about the love of acting. So for me, it was really refreshing. And then I started teaching privately as well up in Boston and in Providence and um, started realizing like, wow, 
I think I'm getting better as I review everything I know deep down inside as I teach these people. And a lot of them are, you know, professional actors in the private uh, classes I do. And uh, it just made me a better actor. And, and actually, I did a film with Ashley Judd last year that's coming out this summer called Good Kids. And, and in another weird full circle, uh, Leah Thompson's daughter, Zoe, Zoe Deutsch, was one of the stars of the show. And that's so cool. And it was so cool to be working up in the North Shore of, uh, of Massachusetts with her. Now, I want to talk about the painting. Now, yeah. now you, your your father was a painter, very successful. Mm-hmm. So there's the lineage here. You, you mm-hmm. have that gene mm-hmm. in you. I was pretty sure there's yeah. your son there, and you probably didn't. When did you start really flexing the muscle? I mean, as a kid, did you draw a lot? Or, yeah, mean, when all did the, you, all I mean, the time. But when did you sit there and, because you were busy being an actor. Mm-hmm. When you were on Caroline in the City, when you're on the show with the Olsen Twins, when you're on those shows... Did you paint then or was it just nothing something like that... I am now, Steve? I mean, I mean, it was the thing that I would exercise frequently, but it would take, you know, I'd have a painting in process for a month or two and I'd go in and work on it and then leave it or whatever. After my divorce, a lot of things changed. I just really reevaluated every aspect of my life. And one of them was this desire to paint. And you know, my walls were filled with my paintings. And I thought, well, I love to keep painting. I think I'm getting better every painting I do, why not try to expand? And so that's when I went back to my roots for a few weeks one summer and brought a bunch of my paintings and walked into one of the local galleries. Uh, there's a real vibrant art scene in, in Rhode Island. And they they knew who I was because the acting, but then put together, oh, you're John Lutz's son. And oh, we always wanted to get him in this gallery, but he was with this other gallery or whatever. And so they gladly took my stuff. I started selling paintings and thought, wow, this is crazy people want to buy my artwork and so now it's years down the line i've been painting really pretty much full-time for four or five years now in the last two years really pushing it and then then the last year since i kind of moved back from the east coast it i would say it's a full-time thing i paint all the time i'm selling a lot i am expanding into other galleries i have a website ericlutzart.com and I haven't, I haven't actually linked it up with as a business thing yet. It's more of a showcase uh, website. But even through social media, people contact me. They'll see a painting and ask how much it is, and we start talking. And I'm selling a painting, and it's hard because I'm, I'm right now at a posi- I'm getting ready for a show at the uh, Courthouse Center for the Arts in Kingston, Rhode Island, in June. So I'm painting for that show. I'm doing a um, charity piece for an event in uh, uh, Orange County next month, and then I have a couple commissions I have to do. And this all brings in income. So it's really, I have to show up at the easel every day for, I do eight, 10 hour days. It's not unheard of for me to just spend a 12 or 14 hour day even just, I'm in the zone, I'm painting and it feels great. Now, what do you paint and how did you decide to follow that? And was it something, you know, cause you know, like they got paint about yeah. it, you know, some things, what, uh, what I, paint, was- I paint everything, find out what fits. And here's, what's funny. I resisted becoming an artist because my dad was so successful. What he did, he did big ships and he actually was the official painter for the Navy. He would do the big uh, portraits for the Navy and their new ships, like the Aegis-class destroyer and the submarines and everything. And I just didn't want to do his style because he was so meticulous. And I, you know, I wanted to create more and be looser. So I've experimented with all this stuff and I've distilled it down to, I'm doing stuff very similar to what my dad did. Ships, seascapes. Here's what's different. One of the things I do are shells, like the Rhode Island Quahog, uh, abalone shells and these kind of things. And when I first told my, my main gallery is in Charlestown, Rhode Island, Charlestown Art Gallery. And I told Gilly, Gilly Gilstein's the, the owner. I said, Hey, you know, I'm doing these uh, shells and people really dig them. He said, ah, it's bathroom art. No one's going to buy them. Okay. I brought a couple in anyway. They sold. 
And then the Matunuk Oyster Bar, which is a well-known, um, really beautiful restaurant in Matunuk, Rhode Island. They, uh, they got some of my work and suddenly I'm like, Oh, so it's bathroom art. Is it? I'm getting commissions through the gallery. So the big joke is that it's, you know, not just bathroom art. And partly because of that and my connection to URI, I was last year, I was made a senior fellow of the coastal Institute, which is involved with the, you know, Narragansett Bay and the fisheries and everything. So I feel like my art in a way that I never had with acting is, has more impact so that, um, you know, I'm just, I can say I'm a senior fellow of the Coastal Institute. I had the power all along, Dorothy, right. <laughs> you know, but it's recognition for these, these seashells. And I get involved in, you know, doing events and uh, with benef- things that benefit the local um, habitat, the fisheries and everything. I'm on your website and people, it's Eric Lutz Art. It's E. R I C L U T E S art. I hope you have, if you don't know how to spell art, I don't know. I don't know how you even found you probably spelled Cooper talk with a K yeah. and you're probably listening to some other site that, that you have no idea. And I got to tell you, I, I clicked on the shells and it's interesting because you know, we, we think about it and you know, if you grew up back East, you have a fascination with shells. Right. As, as when I was a kid, you know, you would sit there and you would comb the beach and you'd always get pissed off. because you just get the one scallop shell yeah. and it would be missing a little, and it'd be like, yeah. Oh my God, this is perfect. Right. And then you have that little, damn piece yeah, and you're like dang. damn it but what's amazing is when you, when you say you know you're painting shells you know they're they're very it's it's they're very interesting they're very cool because it's Thanks. like like one of them like some of them almost look like a photo i try to go for photorealism with the shells that's and, kind of my thing and as a painter i mean you have to have a for you personally you probably have to have a little bit of side of a perfectionism because they're there are these things are are layers upon layers. Mm-hmm. How do you sit there? I mean, you know, you have the you have the 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 abalone, mm-hmm. which I've never had abalone. I heard it's amazing. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. But how do you sit there? I mean, do you look at the shell and how do you get the the layers? Because you know, you think about painting, you just think, you know, you can paint someone. You know, like the indie one hundred thing is painted. But how do you sit there and fine tune? I wish layers? I could tell you, Steve. I wish I could tell you. I mean, I absorbed a lot from basically apprenticing with my dad. Um, I'm very spiritual, so I will say, and it sounds a little weird, but I always pray before I paint and I just feel spiritually, uh, connected to, it's my happy place. And I do feel like God source, the universe works through me and inspires me. I mean, obviously I'm trained and I know, but there are times, especially with that abalone, that was my first abalone and I really like it. And it was new to me and I don't, I'm not, it's a West coast thing. I didn't, grow up with it like I did with the quahogs and oysters and everything. And I just felt like, it, it, like everything in life, if you let go and you just trust and jump in with two feet and that's what I did. And I go, these are crazy colors I don't usually use. And I started moving them around. I got these cool effects and like, wow, I don't know how that happened. But, and, and, and then I, you know, replicate that as I go down the line and I, oh yeah, I remember last time I did the abalone, I used a little bit of, uh, you know, Prussian blue and then some alerzerine red and whatever. And, and you start remembering these things, but um, yeah, it's weird. Just if you experiment and you're not afraid to make a mistake, I mean, there's, you know, for everyone I do, there's 10 that right. are crappy and I get rid of, and I'm getting to where now it's more the other way around for every 10 I do, there might be one that I'm not real happy with. My technique's getting better. I, I was just talking to a, a friend this morning that, uh, wants to commission me for a piece. And he said, you know, I gotta say, I was looking at your work from a few years ago and you've definitely grown. And I like to think I am. And I like to think that I will continue growing as I just keep throwing myself in and doing it. A year ago, someone said, you should start doing clipper ships. Since you're doing ships, you should do those big, you know, old sailboats. And I thought, ah, I don't, I don't have the technique. It's eh, whatever. And finally I said, what's stopping me? And I started doing those and they're hugely popular and I can do it. There's nothing I can't do now because 
I'll make mistakes and I'm not afraid of that, but I'll get better next time. How do you compare the fulfillments of your art and from acting? Because you, it's two different things. Yeah. But in the in the bottom line is, you know, you started acting and painting for the love of it. Now yeah. you've been a professional at both, and and as you get better, people always sit there and expect you to bring it up a level. Right. For you personally, I mean, do you sit there? Do you find any laterals between the fulfillment you have for them? Well, you know, it's. It's funny. I, I, if I understand you correctly, I think, um, you know, with, with acting, I show up, they give me someone else's words. I get someone else's direction. Of course I bring my point of view to it. And generally if, you know, if it's something you read for, they hire you because they like your interpretation of the part. But when I'm painting, I mean, commissions aside, when someone says, I want you to do a painting like this and it's whatever. Um, I'm the writer, the producer, the director, the actor. I mean, I, I do it all and I can paint whatever I want. I mean, I do. Sometimes I go, hey, you know, I think a feather on a piece of wood would look really cool. I don't know why. It just pops into my head. And and oftentimes I'll, I'll be talking to my, my girlfriend and uh, I'll just get quiet because I go in my head and I'm thinking of an idea for a painting. She goes, you're painting in your head, aren't, aren't you right now? Yeah, yeah, I'm seeing this thing. Um, but so then when I get a commission, generally people are pretty cool and they'll say, hey, we want you to do a, one of your boats, maybe a still water or rough water or whatever like that so it's up to me to interpret and bring it i've had a couple where they're very very specific i want you to paint this actual boat and i want it to be in an open sea and i want it to be partly cloudy or you know whatever and i'm happy to do that because you know with any other craft you get hired to do the job if you're a you know, if you're a house painter yeah you might be able to paint the white house that's a really cool sexy gig right but when you get 10 tract homes to do you still got to do it because that's your profession. And, you know, I can always say no. If it's something I really just don't think I could do or would want to do, I, I would say no. But I like the challenge. And so far, no one's returned any of my artwork, you know? So I want to get back to the acting for a little sure, bit. Sure, of course. You were on Cold Case, an episode. Mm -hmm. now, and I love that show. And yeah. I, I've had so many guests. First off, did you did you die or did you kill the person? Because I always love when there's a people who killed the person. No, but is, is it <sighs> often is the case. It looked like I was the guy Okay. in the flashback. But it was a flashback to like the 80s, which is cool. Cause I had my hair was pretty long at the time too. And so we kind of combed it like looking 80s-ish. Um, but no, no, I didn't. I'm I'm often, uh, it looks like I'm the bad guy, but I'm not really the bad guy. I just love that show. And I always yeah. have guests. Yeah. Like, I watched one that I, I had Reed Diamond on. And, and oh yeah, I've worked with Reed. And then I had guy. Robert Romanus on. Uh -huh. and they both have past guests. And I'm watching like a cold case marathon on Ion. Right. And back-to-back -back episodes, they were the killer. So I uh -huh. had to stay up. Like another hour just to see what, if the third third person was on my show. Right. So okay, so now you're you're doing the artwork. You moved mm -hmm. to New York, and it's just I mean that must be something different for you. And now you're doing the artwork, and now the roles start coming back because I see you have a lot of stuff going on with your IMDb. Yeah, I, I really there was a few really slow years for me, and part of it was um, you know it's after divorce, my dad died, just a lot of stuff going on, and uh, I just kind of lost the passion for it and you have to be passionate about it you know and um and then a couple of years ago i just started uh, reapplying myself and saying yes to acting work and it started coming to me again in a really wonderful beautiful way i just did a film when i first got back here uh um called uh, uh jessica darling's it list based on a series of teen books that's uh, coming out this summer and i met jane civet we worked really well together 
and we, we've been dating now for months. And so it's, it's beautiful. You know, I mean, it's, uh, it's a, it's a great way to just experience life. And, um, I, you know, get a lot of the dad roles again. I was, you know, Jane and I played the darlings, Mr. And Mrs. Darling, which is awesome. Cause that's a term I use a term of endearment to people. I love, okay, darling. And, um, it was a lot of fun and that was just an offer. I got this offer from, uh, Craig Campobasso, who's the writer director of, uh, please donate to pansies. And I'm going to be teaming up with Andy again. A lot of these things are, um, just coming to me and it's great. I had to read for producers for, um, how to get away with murder, which I just did a few months ago. Uh, but it was such a tailor-made role for me because I played a real sleazy, creepy guy. And when I walked in for my wardrobe fitting and they had Brooks Brothers suits and bow ties, that's my thing. When I suit up, I go Brooks Brothers. Even, you know, cash, I like that. They have a lot of bright colors for a fairly conservative style. And what sealed the deal was they said, we want you to wear bow ties. Do you know how to tie a bow tie? Like, give it to me, sister. Okay, you, so you know how. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. You so, grew up in New England. You, they, you, to be a member, you have to learn to tie a bow tie. My girlfriend, Joanne's stepdad, passed away a few weeks mm -hmm. ago, and they're going through this stuff, and her mom sent a text about, what do you want any of these cool ties? Uh -huh. And I have one bow tie, but it's not a tie. It's it's not a clip-on, but it's the kind you put around. Cause, I'm sorry, Steve. This interview's over. Yeah. <laughs> But I, there's all these pictures of these cool bow ties, yeah. and now I, I want to learn. Was, was it hard so, for you? No, it, it's I mean, just it looks so hard. Like a regular, a regular tie, I don't even have to look at. It. I can flip around and pop it. Can you tie a shoe? Yeah, then but, you can tie a bow tie. But uh, this is the people you're hearing this on the air. I still use bunny ears when I tie a shoe. I can never figure out that spin okay. and loose. So yeah, so yeah. the bow, the bow tie is slip easy. On, so yeah, so, it is. And you well, know, it's like I play the bagpipes too. It's easy when you know how. Do you know what I mean? Bagpipes. I do. Now, now, how did you get into bagpipes? Well, I'm because learning, I mean, this is amazing because I always, I always wonder. I saw, I was watching um, uh, Better Call Saul, and he was playing bagpipes just to piss the bosses off. Uh, how did you learn the bagpipes, and what came? That's such a different instrument. It, you know, the story gets weirder because I played uh, colonial fife, or as we call it, ancient fife and drum music, which is a, a total other geeky side of me. And the bagpipes, uh, we play a lot of the same music. A lot of it's Irish. Scottish Celtic music and at a lot of the fife and drum events over the years they would have bagpipers and a lot of the parades and I always thought I gotta learn that instrument it's so cool so uh shortly after 9-11 uh I saw all the um I actually I was I called about becoming an air marshal because I wanted to get involved I was too old I said you're too old what because the cutoff was, I don't know, 30, 35, and I was 40. So you wanted to get involved? Oh, yeah. No, again, even then, I, and I was in the show with the Olsen twins, the producers actually said, we'll let you out of the contract if you want to go get involved. And uh, that's how I want to I want to experience everything. Clearly too old for the military. I'm not really sure military would be a good fit, even though I play all these martial instruments and playing the bagpipes. I've done a lot of honor guard type stuff and uh, for Memorial Day and Veterans Day and everything. And I love to be involved like that. Um, but so, uh, I, I decided, well, you know, if I play the bagpipes, I can at least provide music for, you know, ceremonies and things like that. John Ratzenberger is a friend of mine. He's a drummer from the Emerald Society. We got a group together called Sons of the Desert. And we, when we get, you know, come do the red carpet or this event, either he or I would say, hey, can I bring my bagpipe band? We'll bring music. Great. So we, we would. And then I got, I play with the Gold Coast Pipes and Drums up in, uh, Camarillo, when I was back east, I played with the Providence City Police Pipe Band. And I still play with the Kentish Guards, Fife and Drum, when I'm back east, which is fun. My question is, though, how do you learn? It's not like you sit there and in, in like in the online or Craigslist, they don't have like right. learn guitar, guitar lesson. Right, right. How does one learn? I mean, I mean, it's 
first of all, I I see them and I love the way they sound. Right. But how do you sit there and actually start learning? And how do you know when you're good? I mean, is there like these? Is there a lot of, a bunch of crappy bagpipers and really good ones? And how many people play that? And how hard is it to find? It, it's not that hard. It, I mean, on, online is is generally where you you purchase them and things. But there's uh there, there's like uh it's, um there's only two or three grade one that's like the top level bagpipe bands in the country. Two of them are in California, and um L A Scotts right here in downtown Los Angeles. They're grade one like world class pipe band. Um, I have friends at Pasadena Scotts. That's their band. I play with this band up in Camarillo. It's a real tight community. The cool thing about bagpipes, the cool thing and the tough thing is. It's taken very seriously, and the the powers that be uh, are very strict on it's a it's a military instrument, and it's to be played this way. And some of the fun songs I play it, you know, when I play St. Patty's Day or with friends, I'm bending notes and doing warbles, and totally non traditional. And the the old pipe majors would just like they'd slap the pipes out of your hands if they saw you doing that. So the, it, they're really keeping the culture alive and true to the to the art form. Um, but you can, um, you have to get the chanter. First of all, it's just the practice chanter. It's got a little plastic double reed and that's what you do 90% of your practicing on. So you get it in the fingers. Then once you go, you get the song down, then you get it and it's called getting it up on the pipes and you play it on the pipes. Uh, it's, it's a difficult instrument. It's a bit like this, you know, patting yeah, my head, rubbing my it stomach. It just looks, it looks hard, man. It looks like, cause you, it's when a bit you, like wrestling a goat. Yeah. And when you look you know? at it, you really don't. Like a guitar, okay, you understand. You pick up a pick and yeah, you put it. Yeah. Bagpipe, you go, okay, well, they're blowing into it and they're pushing something and there's this and you sit there and go, wait a second. Now, do you have kilts? I have several different kilts I wear. Yeah. Yep. Yes, now, I do. now, where does one get a kilt? Because that's, is there kilt stores? Actually, you know what? There was, the first one I got was years ago, right when I was just learning the pipes. Um, there was a mom and pop store in uh, Santa Monica and I went in, there's this old Scottish guy and I was a lot bigger and heavier at the time and he's like, oh, well, they got to get you a big jacket. You got a battle chested, you know. I'm like, okay, well, you know, and they, I got a Royal Stewart tartan, which is a kind of a generic tartan. Um, and then with Gold Coast, I have the uh, Royal, uh, the modern Red Wallace, which I wear. And then I have uh, some sport kilts from uh, uh, Black Watch tartan. So when I do sporting events. See, you, you got to really be happy with your life because you're an accomplished actor, you're an accomplished painter, and you're an. An amateur. Well, we're going to say because you're not, you're an amateur bagpiper. I mean, is, is, well, I've made money. You know, you get so paid a lot of money to play. When they need a bagpiper, there's only a bagpiper d will do. So they can't. So you you're know, a professional. Technically, bagpiper. yes, I would. I have my professional, my real professional bagpiper <laughs> friends are gagging on their college yeah, like, right shut now. Shut up, man! You're not. <laughs> you suck. Oh my god. <laughs> so, so we have a, we have a few minutes left. So, what, what's what's in your future? Are you going to continue the path you're doing? You know concentrating on art and then having the acting coming up or are you going to maybe branch away into acting or are you just going to let it all hang out and see I'm what happens? I'm just going to let it all hang out, Steve, and just keep forging ahead. I know that my art is really expanding exponentially and I'm looking at some galleries in Laguna and I want to get into a more West Coast centric um, scene and there's uh, galleries in Florida I'm interested. There's a gallery in the Cape that, um, Cape Cod, that actually likes my non-marine stuff. I do pin up and I do these weird for whatever reason, I've been doing eyes, like eyeballs of people, and I've done portraits of people with just their eyes. Oh, wow. So two big canvases of each eye. And so you can do a portrait of me. I'm legally blind when I uh, call, okay, it, yeah. you call it lazy eye. Yeah. And it'll no, sell you know millions. what, Steve? I'd rather say that you have an overachieving eye. Exactly. Yeah, it looks I, too much. Right? Yeah, there you go. There you go. So so, so you're going to paint more, and, and every day you find different things you want to paint, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. must be great because you, 
Because you're not on your website, as it shows, you're not pigeonholed into one thing. I mean, right. so that must be great. So now, now the acting, what's coming up for you? I'm doing a film in in July. I have Good Kids coming out. Uh, I think end of June, and sometime this summer, the uh, Jessica Darling's It List is coming out. Now, where are you shooting the new movie in July? Uh, in Toluca Lake, actually, okay. my old neighborhood, which is a lot of fun. So that must be great, because you know, because well, you, you went back from New York and now you're in California. It must be great to sit there and go to the old stomping grounds. It's great. Now, did, did you ever go out for beers in Toluca Lake? Oh, I used to be literally the resident piper for Timmy Nolan's. Timmy Nolan's is a great place. I used to walk to and from that place because, you know, I live right down the street. I was right on Ledge uh, Avenue. So that's cool. So, that's yeah. But you went to New York. Now you live back here. Now, are, are you digging the L.A. again? I mean. Uh, you know what, Steve? For the first time, I'm digging L.A. I was never a huge L.A. fan, but now I just find great peace and happiness here. I think because, you know, I'm back closer to my kids. And although I'm living on the, on the west side, I was always a valley guy. Uh, so it's a ver- very different um, different perspective, I guess. Would you ever want to get, because you have the other things going on with painting, would you ever mm-hmm. want to have the responsibility of being a regular in a sitcom? Or is it just something that would just probably take you away from your painting? I mean, or do you like how That's you're good juggling? Good question. I, I, uh, I wouldn't say no to it. I, I love the way things are now and I want to keep building. I think that a sitcom would be the best fit because, you know, sitcom isn't the hours that an hour long show is. So I would still have the time to, paint enough uh you know to keep me happy and i can always paint my dressing room because as you know there's a lot of downtime i could uh be you know i would i used to draw a lot in my dressing rooms over the years for different shows i was in but i never hauled in the paints or anything but um my next challenge is i want to try plain air painting where you go actually on location paint what you see i usually work off photographs or actual like with the shells real shells and get the light just right but I, I'd like to try that. I'm getting much quicker now with my painting as my technique gets better. So I would have the ability to haul in a travel easel, set it up in a mountain setting somewhere, and spend an hour or two painting a uh, painting. To and you have to finish. That's, I think that would also be good for yeah. the fact that you yeah. sit there and you no, have I can, to I can get, I'm get it done. Getting much, except for the boats, which do take a lot of time. And working with oil paints, certain things have to dry before you can go over them and line them with the... Uh, the rigging and everything, but with uh, nature scenes, they're they're much quicker to do, and I could, you know, I could see myself doing plain air painting, which would be a lot of fun. Great. Well, I, I want to thank you for coming on, Steve. Thanks for uh, having me on. You've been I, a lot of fun. I've learned a lot. I, I <laughs> I've never had a bagpiper in my. It's amazing. That's not to me. That's cool because I, I you know love, of. I love the 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 Celtic. I just love that music. Like just it just sounds good, and even when like you know rock bands bring it in, you know, it just, it's cool. So, well, can I give one more shameless plug? Yeah, sure. McLeod uh, Ale Brewing in, uh, in Van Nuys, a fantastic microbrew, and it, my friends uh, own it, and they run it, and they're they're in the Highland scene, and they have a Thursday night uh, session there. I have a friend session. who goes there. Yeah, I, it's awesome. Cool. To go. Yeah. So, okay, now, now do you tweet? I do, but I got to get back. You know, I, my Jane is helping me with the social media thing because I'm a bit of a fossil. I'm mostly a facebook guy but i will start tweeting and pintering and uh, all that well stuff. people go to see him on facebook eric lutz uh, also go to his website eric there's some great pictures there so go check Thanks. it out so check him out also uh, follow me on twitter i'm at cooper talk as i tell you you know as the political season comes up i tweet jokes i just have fun with it i make fun of everybody people get pissed off sometimes they tweet me like oh i'm like it's all fun Go to that. Also, go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have uh, 495 episodes up there. It's 495 great actors, great writers, some TV show producers. Some it, It's just fun. We got musicians. We get more musicians. Uh, you can send me an email also, cooper at coopertalk.net. I will 
Want to hear what you want to say about the show? I want to hear who you want me to try to get on, and we'll do that. iTunes and Stitcher, one word. One word, it's Cooper Talk. You can get it there. Instagram, Cooper Talk 1. I do a lot of uh, food pictures, which brings me back to my other website, StopTheSalt.com. Remember when I had the heart problem? I, uh, I wrote a cookbook. It's 120 low-sodium recipes. They're easy to make. No pictures to intimidate you. No big, long list of ingredients. If you don't have cumin, don't worry. There's no recipes with cumin. So you can go to StopTheSalt.com and get it there. You can get it at Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. But if you go to StopTheSalt.com, I make more money. And I'll even sign it. So do that. So please go check out EricLutzArt.com. There's some amazing stuff. Follow him on Facebook, Eric Lutz. My new page is Cooper Talk Radio. Follow that on Facebook. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I will talk to you guys next week.